Our animal hindquarters kosher. So if you go into a kosher butcher, you'll notice the limited menu. Um, there's no swine products. Um, you'll see cows, sheep, or goats. Usually cows or sheep if you're lucky. Some may have deer or buffalo, also kosher animals. But you'll notice that there is no filet mignon and there's no tenderloins. Um, or really no normal animal hindquarters. Only the forequarters, the front of the animal uh, parts are available. Um, like, uh, but the back parts are not available. Why? So why not? And the question is, are animal hindquarters kosher? The short answer is, yes, they are. But we're going to explain why kosher butchers do not usually carry them. But in Israel, they do, right? The Torah tells us that as Yaakov was preparing to meet his brother Esau, who was coming to kill him with 400 men. We mentioned that earlier when talking about the Parsha. So he crossed the Yabuk brook with, his family, brook with his family one night, and he brought his family and his servants and his animals all across, and then he went back alone to get a few things. And there was a man that attacked him and wrestled with him all night until the morning. The Torah describes how the man was not able to overcome him, but hit him on his hip, which, as a result, his hip was dislocated. Yaakov refused to let the man go until he blessed him. So the man blessed Yaakov by changing his name. He says, what is your name? And he said, my name is Yaakov. And he says, your name will no longer be Yaakov. From now on, your name will be Yisrael. Yisrael comes from the word Sar, to rule over Kel, God, or in this instance, an angel, you ruled over an angel. And so later, in this week's parsha, Hashem will appear to Yaakov and give him the same name change. And this, this fellow essentially was giving him advanced warning of a name change that Hashem would later change himself. And Yaakov asked this man, well, what's your name? And he refused to tell Yaakov his name. So commentaries generally assume that this man was an angel, why else would Yaakov want him to bless him? What does he need the blessing from this man if he was just a regular man? And um, later, the prophet Hosea has uh, a description of the story of Yaakov. And over there, he describes this man, Yaakov fighting or overcoming an angel. It says so clearly. Now, there is some debate among Jewish medieval scholars if angels can appear like humans or not something that seems to happen a number of times in scripture. Um, there are those like the Rabbah, Rabbi Levi ben Gershon and Maimonides, who believe that angels never appear like humans, and they understand that this story was a dream that Yaakov had. However, most commentaries do believe that angels can appear like humans and take this story literally. Regardless, it is, ya Yaakov has this battle with an angel, and so commentaries explain well, Rashi explains that this angel is an evil angel. It's representing Asaph, his brother, who is attempting to harm him. So this is an angel representing Yaakov's brother Asaph. Asaph wants to harm the angel wants to harm him too. Yaakov then wrestling with the angel and overcoming him was a sign <coughs> that Yaakov was not harmed by Asaph in the meeting, that will not be harmed by Asaph in their meeting the next day. The Midrashim see it as a symbolic fight between the forces of good and forces of evil. And the angel's inability to overcome Yaakov represents the ultimate victory for good forces, or the inability for evil to overcome good. So that's the story. 
The Torah tells us that because Yaakov's hip was dislocated, therefore the children of Israel do not eat the gid hanasheh, the sciatic nerve of an animal. Presumably, when someone's hip is dislocated, it damages the sciatic nerve that goes from the spine through the hip down through the femur um, and the hip joint down into the um, leg, and so on both sides. And so if your hip gets dislocated, if there's harm to your hip, then it also will harm your sciatic nerve. And so that's why Yaakov, the Torah describes Yaakov as limping afterwards, limping because he had what we'd call today sciatica. Right? His sciatic, sciatic nerve was damaged. He was healed from that. So as a result, we have this prohibition that we are forbidden from eating the sciatic nerve of an animal. And this is one of the 613 commandments. There is a debate in the Mishnah if this prohibition was already practiced by Yaakov's family. In other words, was it that Yaakov's children, as a result of this incident, stopped eating the sciatic nerve of the animal and then... Later, Hashem told us as a commandment that we should not eat it, or was it something that they didn't do, know anything about, but Hashem told Moshe as a commandment that we should not eat the sciatic nerve because um, of this in- incident that ha- happened to Yaakov. It doesn't really matter today which one it is, whether, when it started. There is some debate in the Mishnah also if the the, the prohibition of the sciatic nerve is on both the right sides and left sides of the animal, or just one side. But the halacha is, the ruling is, that both sides, both the right and left side of the animal, are forbidden. Why are we forbidden from eating the sciatic nerve? So the Torah gives us the reason. It's to remember the battle between Yaakov and the angel and how Yaakov's hip was dislocated. Now, why would we memorialize this particular incident? There were many incidents that happened to our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that we can memorialize in all sorts of ways. The only incident that happened to our ancestors that we memorialize like this, that we have a special mitzvah to remember it, is this particular battle of Yaakov with the angel. Why is this particular event memorialized? So there are various reasons given. The Rashbam, Rabash, uh, the Rashbam, a grandson of Rashi, says that it is to remind us of the miracle that happened to Yaakov and how Hashem saved him. His life was in danger. This man or angel wanted to kill him and Hashem saved him. It is to remember this great miracle. Not fully satisfactory because there were other instances where our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were in danger and they were saved. But Maybe this is with, uh, but in this one, for whatever reason, we decide to remember. The Chizkuni, another commentary, says that it is to remind us that the sons of Yaakov made a big mistake. His children were already teens by now, and they should not have let their father go back over the brook, the Yabog brook, on, their, on his own because of the danger of being alone. Someone could attack him. They should have accompanied him so he shouldn't be alone. And so because they did not care for their father and they let him go alone, therefore, the Torah says to remember that you should never leave a person alone at night um, or in a dangerous place. Never let a person be alone. Therefore, to remember that we are forbidden from eating the sciatic nerve. The Midrash tells us that the battle between Yaakov and Egypt was uh, Yaakov and the angel, sorry, was symbolic of Israel's 
future battle, the, the people of Israel, their future battle with evil nations that will try to harm us. And so Yaakov's and those nations, in the, the, the angels' inability to overcome Yaakov is symbolic that those nations will try to harm us, but they will be unable to do so. Yaakov's dislocated hip then is symbolic that sometimes they will be able to cause us considerable harm and yet we will survive and heal as Yaakov did. There were times throughout the ages that our enemies have caused us considerable harm. The Talmud says that, sorry, the Midrash says that this is, that this dislocated hip is a reference to Doro Shel Shmat, the generation of destruction, which was a period when the Romans outlawed Jewish practice and killed many, many, many Jews for practicing Judaism during the, in the second century. And so that's what the Medrash says it is referring to, but presumably it refers then to all times of very harsh persecution when many Jews have been killed and harmed, and yet we always survive as a people. So yes, they can harm us as Yaakov was harmed, but we will always survive. And to remember that, that is why we don't eat the sciatic nerve. So the Chinuch um, explains this, that that's why we don't eat the sciatic nerve, to remind us that despite all the persecution that we face, and how in every generation they rise up against us to destroy us, as we say in our Haggadah on Passover, nevertheless, we will always survive as a people. Rav um, Shimshon Rafal Hirsch, the um, 19th century German rabbi, explains that while wicked people can rule over our bodies, they never rule over our souls. The sciatic nerve is what connects our upper body, representing our hearts, our minds, our feelings, with our legs, the part that goes, that does things. And so the dislocating the sciatic nerve, or the, sorry, hitting the sciatic nerve, represents that, yes, the other nations, the evil people that rule over us, they can control our bodies but they can never control our souls. They can never control our spirituality. So we don't eat the sciatic nerve to show that we can survive as long as our spiritual side remains strong. The Zohar explains that the sciatic nerve is actually the evil part of a person and of an animal. So everyone has this negative part within them. And the Zohar says that the evil inclination is found within the sciatic nerve. And so the reason why the angel then was able to hurt Yaakov's sciatic nerve was because it's the negative part of a person, and therefore the same reason we're forbidden from eating it. So many different reasons, as you can see, given for the prohibition of not eating the sciatic nerve, whether, as Rashbam says, to remember the great miracle of how Yaakov survived, whether because we want to remember how Yaakov's sons were wrong in not caring for their father and letting him go alone, and to be careful never to let someone go somewhere alone to accompany them, what we call mitzvah leviyah, the mitzvah of accompanying someone when they're going somewhere. Um, or it's a symbolic battle, um, uh, a symbolic uh, representation of how the nations are going to try to destroy us and they will harm us, but they will never, we will always survive. Um, or to remind us that the nations can only rule over our bodies and not our souls. So many different reasons why, given why, we remind, remember this story and don't eat the sciatic nerve. Regardless, it is one of our 613 commandments. We are forbidden from eating the sciatic nerve. Any questions?
Excellent question. We're going to discuss that in just a moment. What part of the sciatic nerve? That's going to be the next thing I'm going to talk about. And filet mignon is... We will get to that. Not necessarily. Okay, but in Israel... We will get to that. Okay, so let's... So under biblical law... The only part of only the part of the sciatic nerve that sticks up beyond the leg bone into the hip joint is forbidden. So when you separate the leg bone from the hip joint of an animal, um, there is a bit of the nerve that is inside the hip joint and inside the femur will come down with it. And that is the forbidden part of the animal under biblical law. That is found, that is usually fairly short, it's about three inches or so in cows. It's easily removable because it's found in the bone. It's not found in the meat. Um, the sciatic nerve goes through the hip joint. It starts off, it comes from the spine. Um, where the, there your nerves are inside your spine. It comes from your spine and uh, it comes through the femur, um, inside the femur and through your hip joint. And then it goes outside the bone to, um, then it goes through the, it goes through the leg, so the legs. So our sages, however, meaning when we say our sages, we mean the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council of Judaism, in Judaism's earliest days, they extended the prohibition to the entire sciatic nerve, going all the way down the animal's thigh. So we are forbidden from eating the entire sciatic nerve all the way down the leg of the animal. In addition, the sciatic nerve splits when it goes down the leg, there is what's called the primary nerve, which goes along the inside of the thigh, right next to the bone. And there's also a smaller external sciatic nerve that runs near the outside of the thigh. So our sages extended the prohibition to both the inside and outside extensions of the sciatic nerve. Both are forbidden. They also extended the prohibition to minor nerves, that extend from the sciatic nerve into the meat or into the, um, into the thigh, into the um, muscle. So there's usually about six such minor nerves that kind of spread out from the primary sciatic nerve. And so each of those are forbidden as well. So these additional parts, which all go through the meat, through the muscle of the thigh, um, are all a big job to cut out. In addition to not eating sciatic nerve of an animal, the Torah also commands us that we are forbidden from eating certain fats of cows, sheep, and goats, the three kosher domesticated animals. These fats are prohibited because when these animals, cows, sheep, or goats, could be brought as sacrifices in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, when they were brought as sacrifices, the, these fats were burned on the altar. So they would open the animal, and certain fats were burned on the altar. Those fats that were burned on the altar are forbidden for us to eat, even in a regular animal that is not a sacrifice. We must remove those fats. Those fats include the, these three primary sections, the fats that cover the stomach, the fats that cover the kidneys of the animal, and the fats that, are, that run along the flanks. The flanks are the external sides of the animal. 
So there are very large fats that um, cover the stomach, that cover the kidneys, and that cover the flanks. These are all large flats, fats that usually come out in one large piece and can be removed fairly easily. In fact, when you, when you flay an animal um, then, uh, and open it up, the fats, at least the ones along the... Uh, uh, the fats will essentially come out immediately, will just fall out because they're standing along the flanks. As soon as you open the flanks, the fats will come out. <laughs> Our sages added to these prohibitions the fat on the spleen as well as all the strands of fat that connect between the primary forbidden fats and various organs. So what happens is, in addition to the main fats, is these strands of fat that run from the primary fats that are forbidden around the kind of the center of the animal um, to various organs, and those are also forbidden as well. In addition, again, the members of the Sanhedrin are sages in the early days of Judaism, forbade us from eating the fat around the sciatic nerve. So all around the sciatic nerve, it's essentially encased in fat and um, in a thin line of fat. But that fat around the sciatic nerve is also all forbidden to eat um, as an extension of the prohibition of the fats of the Torah. So as a result today, getting back to the sciatic nerve, the entire sciatic nerve, both the internal and external sciatic nerve, along with the various minor nerves that protrude from the sciatic nerve, along with all the fat that encases the nerve, are all forbidden to eat and must be removed. So given that the sciatic nerve runs very deeply through the hind legs of the animal, removing it with all its parts and removing it along with all the fat is quite a process. It's something that is difficult to do, and requires special training to know exactly how to cut the meat, to find the sciatic nerve, find the fats, cut around them, and still without ruining the meat. Um, and so it's something that it requires very special training. The, the Hebrew term for it is nikur. Nikur is the Hebrew term for it. There's also a Yiddish word that we use, which is treber, or treberen. And the person is actually an English word for cutting out the sciatic nerve, porging, and I'll soon explain why there's an English word for it, but there is an English word for it. It's probably the only Jewish activity that has a special dedicated English word. Um, and the P-O-R-G-I-N-G, porging. And the person in Hebrew, so the, in Hebrew it's called Nikur. The person with the skill of Nikur is called Menaker. Menaker is a person that performs a Nikur. In English, it's a porger. A porger is a person who does, who porges. So over time, various communities developed minor variances of exactly how to cut the meat. In other words, each Menaker, each person who would do this cutting out of the sciatic nerve would be trained by someone who taught them. And over time, various communities, there were variations, that very minor variations that evolved over time. Rav Shlomo Luria, in the 16th century, known as the Maharshal, a 16th century Polish scholar, notes that because Nikur, cutting out the sciatic nerve, is so hard to do, 
and many don't do it properly. There are many that are inadequately trained, or even if they are well-trained, they still don't do the job properly. One should make sure that the meat that was cut, where the sciatic nerve has already been cut out, one should have a second menaker, a second professional cutter, um, check the meat before you eat it. If you're not a professional and you don't know exactly what needs to be cut out, you should go to somebody else after getting it cut, go to somebody else to have them double check that it was cut correctly because it is so difficult to do. Because of the difficulty of doing it, some communities, they stopped cutting out the sciatic nerve. Rabbi David ben Zimra, the Radvaz, as he's known, who was a rabbi in the 17th century Egypt, um, or late 16th century Egypt, says they didn't do Nikur in his community in Egypt, but they simply sold the entire hind animal to non-Jews. And we know that by the 16th, 17th centuries, there were many communities that were not doing Nikur at all. It simply wasn't worth it. There were many communities that were doing Nikur, were cutting out the sciatic nerve, many that were not. Those that were not were simply selling the entire hind part of the animal to non-Jews. It really depended on two things. Firstly, it depended on the community being able to find competent menakrim, competent people, competent porgers that could cut out the sciatic nerve. Without people who could do it, there was no way to get it cut out. You needed people who were trained. You needed someone to train those people. If the guy dies in your town, dies without training anyone, then it's lost in our community. Unless you could get a menaker from another community, you have no one to do it. The other big thing that it depended on was the ability to sell the hindquarters to non-Jews without a major loss to the butcher. If you could sell the... Now, kosher meat, of course, is more expensive than non-kosher meat because of the process of making it kosher. But if you could just sell the whole hind part of the animal to non-Jews at the regular price of non-kosher meat, then um, it's not a major loss for the butcher. They're not going to lose much after they bought on the cow. But if you've got to throw the whole thing in the garbage, then that's a huge loss, and you're going to make sure to find the menaker. So it really depended each town... Each area, um, were there menakrim available, people with this difficult skill? Were there enough to satisfy the needs of the community? And were there non-Jews who were willing to buy the hindquarters at um, full price, a full price of non-kosher meat or close to it, um, so that there was not a major loss? And the greater the loss or the harder it was to find non-Jews, the harder they would work to make sure there were menakrim, people that could do the job, um, if they didn't have the, uh, the lesser the loss, in other words, if they could easily sell it, the less they even bothered to find menakrim, people that could do the job, and the less people probably went into the um, profession. So it seems that over time, um, every country and region, um, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Central Europe, um, the Middle East, uh, North Africa, um, every area had communities that did Nikur, that did the porging, cutting out the sciatic nerve, 
and communities that did not do Nikkor, did not do porging, did not cut out the sciatic nerve. And it really varied from place to place, community to community. There's no particular, this whole country, no one did it. Or in this whole region, nobody did it. It really seems to have depended um, place to place, again, on whether their relationship with the non-Jews around them. Um, the non-Jews don't have much to lose by buying the hindquarters, but often they didn't like Jews and didn't want to deal with them or um, thought it was cursed or there was something bad with it. They didn't trust them, whatever it was. If they couldn't sell it to, if they couldn't sell it to non-Jews or if there weren't, then they would have to cut it out. If there weren't menachrim available, they did not have an option of cutting it out. So those were the two um, kind of variables that it seems really it depended on whether they were cutting out. We don't know. We only have records going back about this going back to the 16th century. Before that, presumably, was the same thing. Some communities did it where it was worth it, where they had people to do it. Some communities didn't. We just don't have records of it. But from the 7th, 16th, 17th century, definitely and on, we have it recorded in many places. Our community doesn't do it, or our community doesn't. Yes, then. Um, besides Is there anything unhealthy about eating the sciatic nerve? Not that I'm, not that I'm aware of. Well, fat might be a different story, but not that I'm aware of. So communities that did, in general, kosher is not synonymous with health, and that's a discussion of its own. We believe that most of the laws of kosher, in fact, almost all of them besides this one, and maybe ritual slaughter are all mitzvot that don't have a reason. We have many commandments that don't have a reason. This mitzvah, not eating the sciatic nerve, we have a very clear reason, which is to remember the how Yaakov's battled with this angel. Now, communities that did nikor, when you did nikor, you cut out a significant part of the of the hindquarters had to be cut out as part of the nikor. A, a lot of it was cut out. So you're missing a significant part of the meat. Also, you need to cut deep into the meat in order to get the different parts of the sciatic nerve, which means you don't end up with a large, perfect tenderloin, um, like a big cut of meat. Instead, you end up with a tenderloin cut through with many slices through it and many cuts in it. And it doesn't look like a perfect piece of tenderloin that you could just slice uh, nicely. Um, so it doesn't look very good and a lot of it's been cut out. And that itself was a reason why people didn't want it so much because while the hindquarters are generally considered the more valuable part of the meat, but when you get it all cut up, it's not as valuable anymore. Who wants it all cut up? So in, um, so in 19th century England, this became a real problem for butchers because the Jewish women didn't want to, who were the ones that were cooking in the home at the time, they didn't want to buy the kosher hindquarters because they were all cut into pieces. It seems that the butchers at the time were unable to sell to non-Jews. It would have occurred, incurred a major loss. They didn't have non-Jews willing to buy hindquarters of the kosher, of the animals slaughtered for kosher meat. And so the butchers came up and the problem is that their hindquarters weren't selling in the kosher butcher shops because people didn't like, they, were, uh, they didn't want to buy the meat that was all cut into pieces. They wanted to buy, you could buy a rib steak, 
which is, you know, from the fore of the animal, and the rib steak is all one big piece, right, or sliced nicely. Um, the tenderloin is not. So they, so they didn't want to buy it. So the butchers came up with a solution. Instead of, as was usually done in most communities, with the menakrim, the people cutting out the, um, the, people cutting out the, um, the sciatic nerve from the meat, uh, would work for the butchers. They essentially were employees of the butchers, would work uh, for the butchers, or would work for the community in the butcher shop, cutting out the meat, and then the butcher would sell meat that was already cut. People weren't buying it. They came up with a different solution. They started selling whole tenderloins in, or whole and other cuts of hindquarters in their kosher butcher shops with a sign that said, this meat was not yet porched. This meat was not yet, did not yet have the, um, did not yet have the sciatic nerve taken out. And so then there were porters, there were people whose job it was to take out the sciatic nerve, and then people would buy the whole beautiful looking tenderloin, and then they would go to the porter to cut it up for them and to take out the um, sciatic nerve. Now, what was actually happening was some people, of course, were careful about the laws of kosher and were doing exactly that. We're taking it to these people who essentially had their own shops separate from the butcher shops. They had porger shops. And you could see now why in England there was a separate word for it, porging, because there were special people that had their own shops and that was their job that they, in 19th century England that they were cutting the sciatic nerve out of the meat. And many kosher observant people were doing that, taking them to the porter shops and cutting the sciatic nerve out of the meat. But what was happening was a lot of the re real reason the butchers were doing it, it was because a lot of the people, women who were buying the meat, the tenderloin, were not taking it to the porters. They were just taking it home and eating it. And they said, oh, that doesn't matter, that part of the kosher. They weren't so observant. They kept kosher. They would only buy kosher meat. It was unheard of back then for a Jew was kind of sacrilegious, a Jew would buy non-kosher meat, um, especially back then. They were buying kosher meat, and they probably would, in those days, you would buy kosher meat with the blood in it. It's only fairly recently, the last few decades, where the butchers started koshering it or removing the blood for you. It used to be, and many of you may remember from your homes growing up, it used to be that you used to buy meat with the blood in it, and then at home, you would have to remove the blood yourself by salt soaking it and then salting it. So... So they probably would do that, but they would not bother to take it to the porter to remove the sciatic nerve, saying, oh, that part doesn't matter, or I could remove it as I, as I, as I cook the meat or something like that. And so it wasn't kosher, though. They thought it was kosher, but it wasn't. And this became a big problem. And this actually led to a big fight within the Jewish, among the rabbis of London as to whether... They should be giving kosher, kosher, they should be certifying these kosher, kosher butchers that are selling whole tenderloins without them being first porged, without first cutting out the sciatic nerve. It became a big issue. It ended up, it led to an eventual in the early 20th century, a split in England's Jewish community, where it split into two communities. And um, those two, two, that split still continues, of course, today. Uh, as is common that these splits from 100 years ago, over 100 years ago, tend to continue for a very, very long time. Yes? So if you buy the roast with the sciatic nerve in it and you cook it, then you've taken the fat that surrounds the nerve and you've cooked it into the meat. 
Yes, if you cook it with the sciatic nerve in it, um, then the whole meat becomes non-kosher. Right, okay. And you can't cut it out afterwards. It's too late. So over time, various communities developed different customs of exactly what and how to cut out the hindquarters. So there were very slight variances between different communities. And so and each community kind of did it their way. Jerusalem was a, a center historically of Jews from all over the world because many Jews went to Jerusalem. Jews went from everywhere. They went from Ukraine, from Belarus, parts of the Russian Empire, Poland, Hungary, um, Germany, Holland, um, England, later the U.S. once we had a community, from Morocco, from Yemen, from Iraq, from, per from Iran, from Egypt, from every Jewish community in the world had people that would go to the land of Israel. And usually the community themselves would support, we once did a class on um, uh, people supporting the land of Israel, and uh, the, the, usually the communities would support members of their community living in Israel. But Jerusalem essentially was a melting pot where there were Sephardic Jews, Ashkenazi Jews, Yemenite Jews, Western European, Eastern European, Jews from everywhere in one place. So the rabbinate in Jerusalem had a bit of a problem because the butcher shops, right, they weren't a, didn't want to sell, right? Everyone had a different way that they would cut out the sciatic nerve, porridge the meat um, in their butchers, in their community. And so everyone wanted to keep the kosher standard of their community. But they didn't have menachrim, they didn't have porridges that knew how to cut it for each community. And they also didn't have, and they also, the, but, they weren't enough, the butchers weren't able to serve as just a handful of Jews that came from one community. So what the rabbis did is, they brought together all the different menachrim, all the different porridges from different communities, and they had them together come up with a system that encompasses all the different forms of porging meat. So every different part, you cut, up that, cut out that little part and you cut out that little part and it was all brought together and it became known as Nikur Yerushalmi or Jerusalemite porging. And that became kind of the international standard because every, there were variations among communities that that included all of the customs and any Jew can eat Nikur Yerushalmi, the Jerusalemite porging. And so that, over time, um, that was developed in the mid-19th century, but over time, that nikur, that system of Jerusalemite porging, became the standard as Jews moved around a lot and no longer were we living just with our community. It was easier to have a kosher butcher that everybody's going to eat from. And so everybody began to, over time, especially as we moved to new places, everyone began to use the Nikur Yerushalmi. Because it, it, it brings together various customs, it, be, it's, it became the standard, but it also involves cutting out a significant part of the hindquarters. Between 13 to 25% of the hindquarters are removed as part of this Nikur, as part of this porging. So you're losing a big part of the meat. And it gets pretty cut up. If you see a picture of it after it's porridge, before it's porridge is like a beautiful cut of meat, tenderloin. It's kind of this large, um, uh, long, oval piece of meat, I guess. Uh, but once it gets cut up, it looks like meat cut into pieces, um, into, you know, with all sorts of parts that have been cut in it. So um, that's still the way it's practiced today. Some communities, notably the Yemenites, still retain their own custom for Nikur, 
which cuts a considerably less amount, smaller amount out of the meat. Um, and they do have Yemenite butchers that just do Nikur their way, the Yemenite way. But generally, when Nikur is done, it is done the, in the, the Nikur Yerushalmi or the Jerusalemite portion. It is still done today. It is mostly done in Israel. Now, most of the meat slaughtered today in Israel, most of the meat eaten today in Israel is not slaughtered in Israel. Most of the meat um, eaten in Israel, it comes from South America, which is the kind of world center of meat. Brazil, Argentina, Chile, um, Uruguay, a bunch of places. But it comes from South America, which is really the primary source of the world's meat um, and the cheapest place to get meat from. Uh, Israel itself doesn't have a lot of um, animal farming and um, doesn't have, for that reason, a lot of slaughter either. Um, there also isn't an easy ability in Israel to sell meat to non-Jews. Now, um, so as a result, the slaughter in Israel is mostly specialized slaughter, <coughs> slaughtering specialized animals for spe in special ways. And so in Israel, they still do nikur. Um, when they do specialized slaughter, they do nikur as well. Um, in the U.S., some do nikur as well. And there are people who are professional menakrim, professional porgers, that have the skill and know how to do it. There are even, um, there are even places you can go to get nikur training. You could get, take a nikur training course um, if you really want to learn how to do it yourself. Um, now, in the United States, there are very, very few people who know how to do it. Because it's not done, that's why there's very few people that know how to do it. If you did learn how to do it, you wouldn't really be able to employ it very much because almost all kosher meat that is eaten is commercial. And when selling commercial meat, it doesn't make sense to do nikur for a few reasons. Firstly, the meat doesn't come out looking very nice, so it's hard to sell it when it doesn't look very nice. Um, secondly, but most importantly, for a professional menaker to clean an animal, it takes an hour or two to cut out the animal. It's a very, very fine cutting. It requires a larger knife and a smaller knife along with a knife sharpener. And um, it's, it's, it's a very, very tedious, difficult thing to do. Most meat today is produced commercially. Kosher slaughterhouses today can kill 60 cows an hour. Um, when sheep, they go even, they do many more. So when you're doing it, that when you're kill, when you're slaughtering at that at that rate, it doesn't pay to have someone sitting for an hour or two hours on a single hind quarter of an animal when you're producing it commercially, and the cost would be very, very, very high to do that. Um, so for commercial meat production, it simply doesn't make sense. And it's very easy to sell hindquarters to non-Jews. And the reason for that is, in general, um, when we slaughter meat, we have to check that the animal itself doesn't have any of a large number of what we call trefot, or various, um, uh, various uh, deficiencies or various ailments that would cause it to... Uh, that cause it to be non-kosher. For example, if there are any lesions on the lungs, it makes the animal not kosher. So the lungs have to be checked after the animal is slaughtered to make sure that it is to make sure that it, that it's kosher. If the animal is a trefa, it cannot be eaten. Now, a significant number of animals are trefot. Um, in many places, it's more than fifty percent of the animals are not kosher that they slaughter. So, as a result, Jews always were selling 
slaughtered kosher meat that turned out not to be kosher to non-Jews. Um, in places they were unable to sell it to non-Jews, it was very challenging because if you slaughtered an animal, you had a 50% chance or sometimes more that it wouldn't even be kosher. If you couldn't sell it to a non-Jew, it's garbage. Throw it to the dogs, what are you going to do with it? So um, it, was, it was a real problem. Many communities were able to sell it to non-Jews and that's what they did. Today, the way it's done is kosher slaughterhouses run within or alongside a non-kosher slaughterhouse. Every kosher animal slaughterhouse will always have a non-kosher slaughterhouse either next door or sometimes it, they do kosher runs within a larger non-kosher slaughterhouse. Where they just do kind of, they'll do a couple days of kosher runs. And whatever meat they don't want, the goes to the non-kosher side. So all the animals that are um, rejected because they're not kosher, just go to the non-kosher side. No loss beside this, uh, except for the slaughter that goes a little slower and uh, it, it takes a few more people, um, the, the shochtim and the botkim, the people who slaughter, the people who check it. But other than that, there isn't a major loss. Um, and so the same thing also, every animal that they slaughter, the hindquarters are just sent over to the non-kosher side and there isn't really a major loss. And that's the way commercial kosher is done today. Um, so for that reason, um, it's generally not done today unless you do a specialized slaughter with a specialized menaker. There are people who can do it. Um, there are restaurants that specialize in it, um, that specialize, I don't think any in Los Angeles, but there are restaurants, definitely in Israel, I believe in New York also, that specialize in, um, in high, kosher hindquarters. Um, and they do special slaughters for it. And understandably, because the animal is not slaughtered commercially, it would be, and it must be processed manually, it's, the meat is much, much more expensive um, to produce. And, and you need to pay the person who's, who's um, cutting the high quarters out. Um, so it is possible to eat. Um, to answer our initial question, are hind quarters kosher? The answer is yes. Hindquarters are kosher, but the sciatic nerve and surrounding fats must be removed, which is a difficult process. While it can be done and is done, commercial meat producers generally don't do it. Um, but you can pr purchase kosher hindquarters from kosher meat producers that specialize in it. Um, like, the, like I said, they're mostly in Israel. They're very expensive, but there are people um, here in the U.S. that do it as well. It can be done. And we do, the reason why we don't eat it is to remind us of the incident with Yaakov, of which we gave a number of reasons right, for that incident, um, both to remind us of, how, uh, Yaakov's, of the, ya how Yaakov was saved, how Yaakov's sons failed to accompany him, and how we should never leave a person alone at night, let them go back, walk home themselves, um, you should always go with them or drive them home or get them home in some way so, um, so we shouldn't leave them alone like Yaakov. Or more symbolic, it's uh, the symbolism that we mentioned that uh, the, the battle of Yaakov and the angel is the battle, our battle, with evil nations that try to overcome us and the lesson that they were not able to overcome him, but yet the nations will never be able to stop us. We will always survive and yet they can cause us significant damage and unfortunately have over the, over the years. And so in that sense, we don't eat the sciatic nerve is a reminder to our survival, but also a reminder of all that suffering that we've gone through, our nation has gone through over the years. Um, all the many millions and millions and millions of Jews um, over thousands of years who have been 
killed or maimed or hurt um, by our non-Jewish neighbors, anti-Semites, who hated us just because we were Jewish. And, uh, but we still survived them all. And that is really why we don't eat the sciatic nerve. And as a result, practically don't eat the hindquarters of the animal. I thank you all for joining. In